0: This podcast contains strong language, details of drug use, violence, recounting of traumatic events and themes which listeners may find upsetting. Today we bring to you an anthology of recordings from our very own Marcus at Eternal Media and from our friends at Pembroke House. Pembroke House is a recovery community in Bangor, North Wales. First up we have Gareth, Ellen, our very own Marcus Delith, Brad, Mark, Emma and Peter. We would like to thank them all for letting us in and sharing their lives with us.
1: Hello everyone. Um, it's Gareth here again. Um, I'm doing a reflection of audio and of course, to complicate everything as I always do. I'm trying to do but play the guitar at the same time. Um, this piece of music came to me um, about four and a half years ago, uh, just after my dad passed away. And uh, my dad knew about my addictions and tried to be very supportive, but just didn't know how to show emotional support. Um, and unfortunately, Passed before I could get clean. Um, I'm sure he's looking down and he's proud of how I'm doing. But um, after he passed, this I just picked up the guitar and uh, this kind of came out. And um, I always wanted to put words to it, but it never quite happened. I used to play it when I was high when I was feeling really sad it was like the way I could connect to him but um without saying words because we were never ones for words um so this is quite quite emotional for me Um, But it brings back that time when I was all alone, lonely and still unable to speak but I try my best through music and it's the only thing that never really left me during my addiction because I never sold any of my guitars, I sold fucking everything else It was like I knew that there was I was gonna need them again. One day I may may put lyrics to it. But maybe it doesn't need to be finished. Maybe this is good enough. This opportunity to share my ramblings. I'm not sure if any of it made sense.
2: So, I'm currently sat in my bedroom uh, on my sofa. I'm feeling a little bit sorry for myself, I'm a bit tired, um, and I'm just reflecting and I can hear the birds singing and the sun shining. I can hear activity going on in the garden. And I feel like I'm missing out. And I'm only tired. I'm, you know, trying to be kind to myself. But it takes me right back to those days in addiction when I would deliberately grab onto the fact of getting on my pity pot and feeling sorry for myself and lock myself away despite the sunshine, despite the birdsong, despite hearing laughter and people around me and just literally feed my addiction of self-pity and misery.
3: So much I want to do and so much to get on with that I'm passionate about and instead I'm stuck. Mindlessly scrolling my phone, watching the TV, mechanically putting food to mouth, food to mouth. I've got to get it all clear and it's got to go through me first. To then physically wretch it up, I'm going to get it all out again to the bile, and the bitterness. And I'm exhausted. And then I start again, mechanically putting food to mouth in my mouth. My numb watching figures flicker in a screen laughing between themselves yet totally isolated. And I have a choice. But I gotta get this cleared first.
2: And then I think back to where I am today. And it's like You're just tired, Elle. You know, have a little break, have a cup of tea. And you can press that fuck it button and go back to that place of that mindlessness. Or you can just, yeah, have a cup of tea and then get back out there in the garden with people recovering and enjoying life.
4: So I'm currently sat in Bangor, town centre me quite a bit the weekends when I'm over and I walked past the spot just by the clock in the middle of town where for, well, for quite a long time I was begging really or busking, I had a saxophone and i sit there day in day out in the rain, snow, sleet, hail, freezing temperatures, and I just look like hell. There's nothing left of me, no meat on the bones, which if you saw me today would, well, be hard to imagine. But I do sit here, I'm currently sat outside Boots looking at the spot where where I used to sit for hours and hours and hours and probably upset a lot of shopkeepers playing the same 10 or 12 songs over and over. Just remember that my worst day was, I think it was January, late January. It was just horrible freezing. I was just sat there so cold. I'd just taken, um, I'd just taken some heroin in the multi-story been addicted for 25 years and come out of prison again and and I I was just sat there it wasn't enough I was still very ill
3: Uh,
4: and I was out all day uh, three o'clock I just looked in my box and there's 10p in it it was 10p And then I looked again And it wasn't It was because it was wet And there was shiny It was shiny And it was only a 2p I've been there Six, seven hours It's just such a hopeless situation I'm here now And, and there was a big Big issue cellar I stood where I used to be I just used to sit there Looking up Watching people walk past Just thinking like They're on the way to work Or just thinking where they might be going and I just thought I want your life I don't care how bad or good your life is it's just not mine and it just can't be worse than what I'm going through and I I use these things as a tool nowadays to remember where I don't want to go again I've got (coughs) Got reminders at, at work as well. I just look at them and it um, just—it's quite—it's quite hard to remember those times. Actually, it's quite difficult. But I do use them as something to empower me, not to go back. Rather than seeing them as the horrific, horrible reminder of the just vile. Life where i just existed on the underbelly of the Underbelly Society for 20-odd years. It's not me today. I'm not... I'm not outside Greg's begging for pennies just to scrape together a tenner to... to nip, nip up the road and buy a bag of heroin that might last a few hours and then have to do it again. It's just horrific. So that's what Bangor Town Centre reminds me of There are plenty of places that I reflect on other things But I don't think it's a bad thing to remember these terrible times It just puts in context how far I've come And how amazing my life is now I have a screensaver, wallpaper on my phone And it says, remember when you wanted what you have today and that's very apt for me, is I've got everything I need And family, loved ones, friends That would help me bury a body if I needed them too <laughs> But... Well, that's me Marcus Fair, reporting from Bangor Five years clean from heroin and crack Loving life
5: Here I am, sitting in Pennon House In recovery which is massive because recovery to me is just huge because I'm actually doing it. It's my second shot at real recovery. I mean, I failed last time, relapsed really bad for about a year. I was about two weeks away from hitting that one-year mark, which I was really devastated about. Um... I ended back up in Hergest, the mental, on a mental, mental unit. Countless times I've tried to commit suicide. self harm got worse, and I ended up back on a bridge where I previously jumped off. Um, th- 30, it was 30 feet into a river. And uh, resulted in getting airlifted to Spitiguiners. And 13 weeks ago, I found I was back on that bridge and ready to do it again. <sighs> I was out of control, my addiction got the best of me, and I knew, you know, I gotta get help. I really have to do something. So I messaged my sisters got the help, got into the men went into her guest, did detox. I was there for fourteen days and it was and it is my second. it was my second admission twice for fourteen days. I was put on track and got on top of my mental health basically. I contacted uh a friend one one of the staff from Pendrin, from the hospital saying, Well, I want it, please can I come to stay because if I leave the hospital now I know I'm gonna hit that bottle straight away. <laughs> definitely was having Londies right outside my window and um, luckily I got a bed and it was only until I got a place in rehab. Um Uh, There's a bed shortage. Uh, Luckily, I got to stay in Penryn and I'm still here now. I've been been here for... It's gone on my 11th week now and I've been sober 13 weeks and doing really, really well. Uh, You know, I'm so lucky. to to have this chance in life really (laughs) chance you know this recovery means everything to me you know I just couldn't go on I I got out of that hole I just got to work hard now to stay out of that hole and not not to fall back oh and it's hard really really hard every day but I'm getting there and one day at a time
6: 8th of October, 2019. Um, we're to do a do little podcast now, and the subject is recovery and what it means to us. Um, off the cuff, really. I'm not feeling very imaginative today because I'm having a tough time, um, just in my own head, really. So we'll see where it goes for me. Re- what recovery means to me is sort of what I use. What's always meant is just rediscovering. You know, not not just who you were and going back to the person you used to be, but who you want to be in the future as well. What do you do? Because recovery is one thing. Um, obviously, we put down the drink and the drugs. Um, my drug of choice was alcohol, crack, cocaine, cannabis, speed, anything really I could get my hands on. If I'm honest. Um, but once we do put them put them chemicals down. Yeah, my idea of recovery is, you know, what's next? What do we recover from the salvage of what our life was? Um, as I said, I'm having a bit of a tough time at the minute because I'm not, I'm not doing very well mentally. I'm trying to hold it together. Um, but my mood's very low. And I'm struggling to see the point, really, in any of it. <laughs> Even though I've got so much to be grateful for, you know i've got fantastic people around me and that's one of the things that recovery should be all about is um connection with people again because i think alcohol and drugs sort of replace that need for the connection with people um so once you put it down you need to reconnect with society because we are social animals so i've got that around me i've got a beautiful girlfriend i've got plenty of options you know i'm doing all my certificates i'm doing the courses But, you know, what's next? That's where I'm at now. I'm at the crisis point where I feel like my life's going nowhere. I'm sort of stagnant in recovery. Um, And it's no one else's fault but my own. You know? The future is there to be created, and I'm just—I'm just really struggling at the minute. But to me, that's what recovery is about: it's sort of rediscovering what you want to do with your life. You got one life, and we need to decide what we need to do with it, what we want to do with it—not what we need to do, what we want to do with it—to reach our potential. and I'm just, yeah, but lost for words. Sorry if it's a bit morbid, um, but sometimes you know, recovery has its highs and has its lows. And unfortunately, I'm in one of the troughs. Yeah, I'll leave it there for now maybe the next podcast and be a bit more more positive a bit brighter thank you
7: as you probably can hear in the background there's uh, a lot of wind sun shining and I'm outside not something really I'd have appreciated before you know, just sitting in the garden behind the back of Penrin, just enjoying the view around me. Enjoying the enjoying the warmth on my skin, the wind in my hair, cheesy as that sounds. Just enjoying the moment instead of worrying about what's next or what has been. Freedom of choice, I think. Really, um, freedom where I can actually say, do you know what, I want to go outside, uh, just sit in the garden, listen to what's going on, just soak in what Mother Earth, so to speak, is, um, you know, got on show. I think that's the difference between now and before. Is you know, you can I can appreciate what's in front of me. But I think at the same time, I can appreciate the part I've played within myself to get to this point where I can appreciate the simple things in life. It's quite interesting, really. Think about it. This sort of journey we all go on, where we're so intertwined with getting money, doing this, doing that, ripping that person or whatever, and you know, to get our drug of choice. And now that's not even a fleeting thought. All I can think about really is how lucky I am. The the sort of gratitude of where I am. You know, I've done this by myself, but at the same time I've done it with the help of others. And, And for that, you know, I don't think there's any words to really express the sort of get gratitude. Really, I think it's interesting. You know, if you looked back four years ago, I'd have never even dreamed of got got to anywhere like this to have any sort of semblance of peace of mind within myself or being comfortable going into the world and being able to handle what's thrown my way anyway that's a small little brief insight to uh to, to what recovery means to me um all right thank you
8: hi my name's emma swallow i'm part of the eternal recovery hub in bangor and today i'm going to be talking about how I ended up in recovery. Um, Most people talk about rock bottoms and ended up in recovery because of a rock bottom. I suppose I had quite a few rock bottoms before I ended up here. Um, I can remember drinking from a very, very early age. In fact, I can't remember ever not. I started drinking when I was about 14 just with my friends and stuff on the streets as people did in my day. Um, We'd come home from school um, in Liverpool and we'd have the odd (laughs) bottle of cider and I remember it never being enough. My friends were all ready to stop after one or two bottles, and I always had to go that one extra. Um, and it remained like that for a while. My family drank at home, so I was always around it. Um, and I would suppose I'd have the odds drink with them of a night time, um, and then I was allowed to drink. socially with them from about the age of 16, um, at which time I was doing my GCSEs. I actually got through school. I did my GCSEs and I did my A-levels, but I was drinking constantly at the time. I remember going into school one day and my friends saying, it was the night after I hadn't, sorry, the day after I hadn't had a drink that night. And my friend said, do you feel okay? Um, You're looking really well today. Um, Didn't you have a drink last night? And I didn't notice that at that age, people had already started realising how much I was actually drinking. One night we were having a sleepover, for example, and nobody was having a drink that night. And we are talking when I was 15. And I said... Are you not having a drink tonight and didn't go. Um were just because I didn't want to sneak drink um and because I didn't want to not have a drink and that was a that age kind of thing. Um and then we I got through my GCSEs as I say, I passed all them, I started through my A levels and then after my A levels as a celebration um, we said we were going to go away on holiday to Greece, all of the girls. And I remember when we were there, I couldn't enjoy myself at all without having a drink. Um, I thought that I couldn't dance without a drink. I thought that I couldn't socialise at all. I remember it just being a complete waste of money. It was two weeks um, and it was just basically me in the hotel by myself just drinking. Um, and this carried on. I got a really good job um, as an accountant. I was actually, I actually ended up being a supervisor in quite a large accounts firm. Um, and I wasn't drinking in work at the time. But um, my my life wasn't very good. I was seeing somebody that was violent towards me. Um, I was just kind of at the time it was just kind of a coping mechanism, um so sorry, um so yeah, um, I would get a drink on the way home from work, and I remember hiding it, hiding it in my bag, hiding how much it was drinking from him, um and um, I just remember it was a necessity just just to just to be drunk when I got home because I never knew what was facing me. Um, I lived in a really, really nice flat um, overlooking the water on the Albert Dock and to the outside, it seemed like I had everything, but I was literally just drinking my way through life. Um, I, I kind of noticed it was, I, I'm talking, I was like, that was my mid-20s by then. Um, and then I split up with my boyfriend. It was after about 10 years. And um, I remember the first the first time I noticed my health deteriorating was just before I was 30 and I was still in work. And I couldn't do the most, um, the easiest tasks. Like I was still doing my job as an accountant trunk most of the time. Um, And by then, I'd started taking a drink into work with me. I'd buy half a bottle of vodka on the way into work from the shop. I'd disguise it in a different bottle. I'd keep it in my desk drawer, and I'd just drink constantly throughout the day. Sometimes I ended up going to the shop at lunchtime and buying another half bottle. So I was getting through a bottle of vodka a day whilst working. And... As I said, um, I couldn't do things like filing. I I noticed that my legs started to get really weak. I don't know why I didn't associate it with drinking so much. My legs started getting really weak. I wasn't eating at all. Um, I'd previously struggled with my eating as well. Um, I'd gone through a really bad phase of bulimia, which also started when I was going on holiday with my friends. Um, But I just stopped eating completely and as i say i was just really really weak and i went to the doctors and i didn't tell the doctor how much i was drinking i said i was probably weak due to my eating disorder and just before my 30th birthday i started turning yellow um i say yellow it was more of an aluminous orange um and I couldn't do anything. I start, My body started swelling. Um, and it was then that I was living back with my mum and my family started noticing how much I was drinking. They probably knew before, but didn't want to address it. And as I say, they were drinkers anyway. So um, they probably didn't notice as much as they should have. although I can't blame them. So I was, as I say, bloated. I was... Sorry, Um, yeah, I was bloated, I was weak, I was still constantly drinking, even though I knew it was that that was doing to me. And then I was just in bed most of the day until one night I started vomiting blood. I didn't tell anybody, my mum was looking after my nan at the time, and my nan had dementia and I was just in the house by myself and I was just lying in bed for days, just um, vomiting blood. And I'd literally drink a glass of water and because I couldn't get out of bed, I'd then vomit what I drank in blood back into the glass. And it was like a pint of water, a pint of blood, and it continued until uh, early hours of that morning, I phoned an ambulance. Um, myself, because I just didn't know what to do. Um, The ambulance came and I ended up in hospital and it was only then that I admitted how much I was drinking. Um, I remember not being able to breathe. I remember when I got to the hospital, everything seemed to turn worse. I couldn't breathe. And they tried various ways of helping me. I remember a mask, um, and then some kind of bubble around my head as a breathing thing. But I was that out of it by then. I remember thinking that the mask was a leather mask and that somebody was trying to suffocate me. And they said, the, mm, if I don't start trying to help myself, the next option would be to intubate me, put me on life support. And I, I couldn't, I just couldn't fight anymore. Um, they said... If they did that to me, it was likely that I might die because all my organs were failing. But at the time, I couldn't see another way out. I didn't want to fight. I actually wanted to die. Um, So, uh, I don't really remember much about being put on life support. Um, But I remember waking up and... Not knowing how long it had been or anything. It had been six days. But on that first night, my mum had been told that I wouldn't live through the night. And when I woke up six days later, I said to my mum, why am I still here? I don't want to be here. I was on dialysis because my kidneys were failing. Um, I'd ruined... My heart was... Yeah, my on heart tablets for the rest of my life. And obviously, um, when I'd had a um, scarred liver, I'd, I had full-blown stenosis. So I was kind of a multiple organ failure. But I came back from that, and that should have been my rock bottom. Um, and I vowed to the specialists, to the doctors, to my family, that I'd never drink again. And I was was released from hospital about a month later, went home. Still really, really weak, couldn't get out of bed. But as soon as I got out of bed, the first thing I did was go to the corner shop for another drink. And this continued for another four years. I was, I don't know, I was just powerless to it. Um, Yeah. Didn't know what to do. I was with all the... My mum had had enough of me by then, so my mum kicked me out. I was getting in with all the wrong crowds by then. I'd lost my job. I'd lost my lovely flat. I'd lost my family. um, And I ended up with another fella and just started doing cocaine alongside the alcohol because that helped. (laughs) But... I suppose it blocked it all out, um, and my relationships were was really, really, really bad to um, to the point where just under I've been here for eight weeks now in Penguin House. Um, a month before that, a lad that I've been with for a year actually put me in hospital. Um, The relationship had been violent from the start, but I suppose I allowed the relationship, I was in the relationship because I was allowed to drink and I was allowed to use. At that point, I was taking everything and anything I could get my hands on. I was on speed. I couldn't get cocaine because I moved up to North Wales. So, speed. And then even, I didn't know before I was with him that he was taking heroin, I tried heroin. As I say, it was just virtually anything I could get my hands on and yeah, um, I stayed because he let me, I stayed because I could do whatever I wanted, he didn't care, he didn't care what I was doing. I could sit in a corner, I could get absolutely off my face, didn't matter that he battered me, didn't matter what he did, as long as I could choose to forget. so yeah, I, I was in in and out of hospital um, for a couple of months. And on my final time in hospital, somebody visited me and mentioned Penman House to me. And it sounded like a really good place. It sounded like somewhere I could see myself. But still, a week before I got here, I signed myself out and I went back to him. And I didn't think I'd ever do it. And I don't know what it was. I was sitting there one day and something just clicked at me. And I remembered, I remembered in the hospital, and I remembered somebody gave me a number to this place. And I don't know why it was different this time. I picked up the phone. Um, I called the number. And a week later I ended up here. And if it wasn't for being here, I know that I'd either be dead through alcohol and Drugs, but specifically alcohol, either through that or through him killing me. Um, So I'm I'm so thankful to be here. Um, I'm I'm actually thankful for my life now. It will be my 60 days clean and sober on this coming Thursday. And I never, ever thought I'd be able to do it. I haven't been sober for that long since I was, as I say, 14, I'm now 35. And hopefully um, I'll remain this way and hopefully everything can only get better. Um, Thanks for listening.
9: Testing, testing. One, two, three, okay. Peter Nichols, a uh, podcast for Eternal Recovery Hub, podcast uh, entitled Finding Penrith. <sighs> Seventy seven days, the fifth of September. <laughs> On that day, I either made the craziest or the sanest decision I'll ever make in my life. I packed a rucksack, took my tent, gone on a train and left Birmingham, possibly never to return again, to be honest. I'm not really sure what was going on in my mind entirely at that time. I walked away from everything I owned, everyone I knew, and just disappeared into the middle of Snowdonia with one aim. I was desperately trying to reduce my alcohol intake. My life at this point was an absolute train wreck. I was massively in debt. I must have owed about 1,500 quid to my landlady. My alcoholism was raging completely out of control. And, uh... I was pretty close to physically and mentally collapsing so I got on the train and I disappeared into the middle of Snowdonia and for three weeks I attempted and failed to reduce my alcohol intake. I would bring it down a bit, a bit and a bit at a time and then they'd go back up again. I just, I, I just couldn't do it I couldn't manage it no matter how hard I tried and no matter how desperately I wanted to I just couldn't seem to be able to do it properly then one night I was really low I'd given up I mean really given up I almost stepped off a cliff and just ended it I couldn't see any other way forward at the time Fortunately, I thought about my daughter in that last moment and how much I desperately wanted to be able to see her again and be her father. I stopped myself. I scared myself. So much so that I came out of Snowdonia and uh, booked into the travel lodge on the A55 just outside Bangor. And for a couple of days, I sat there watching the Rugby World Cup, drinking just about as much as I could. And then I decided, I got up one morning and I knew, I, you know, I might as well just shoot myself or stop. So I did, I stopped. I just cut it out I stopped there and then on the spot I knew I was taking quite a big risk I wasn't unaware of the dangers of stopping drinking that way but I kind of consoled myself with the thought that well you didn't step off that cliff so whatever happens you know grin and bear it suck it up deal with it two days later I went into my shock I was about as sick as I think I've ever been in my entire life. I thought I was dying. I wasn't actually that far wrong. I ended up in the Yosbeti Gwyneth Hospital. I was taken there in an ambulance, blue lights flashing, heart doing things my heart really isn't supposed to do. And hit casualty. From there, I was fortunate then to spend the next 10 days medically detoxing within a safe environment and was looked after by a very caring and wonderful medical staff at the hospital. I consider myself quite fortunate. My pancreas had pretty much given up the ghost, just was not working and functioning the way it should do. I was actually quite lucky that I ended up in hospital when I did, but on the whole Medically, uh, I wasn't too bad. I was, like I say, quite fortunate. So ten days of going stir-crazy in a hospital, my smoking went through the roof, but I didn't drink. I could have done, there was actually a shop just across the road from the hospital that was screaming at me every five minutes to go and buy booze. Fortunately, I didn't have any money. So that option was completely out the window. After 10 days, medically, I was, uh, you know, sound, and uh, they were able to discharge me. They didn't really want to discharge me. They actually wanted me to be referred to uh, the Hergast unit so that I could be assessed, having had long-term mental health problems. um, That's really where they wanted me to go. Unfortunately, the situation arose that because I wasn't a Welsh resident at this point, they couldn't actually admit me there because the mental health team couldn't take responsibility for me. So I left hospital. So I obviously had my tent and my camping equipment. But I didn't know what I was going to do. I had my friends back in Birmingham begging me to come back, my best mate, telling me please come back I'll, I'll look after you I'll make sure you're okay and I couldn't if I'd gone back to Birmingham I knew in my heart I'd just end up drinking again I'd be back at square one so I didn't really know what to do I'd made myself homeless didn't have anywhere to go but Wales is a wonderful and beautiful place Bangor's a nice place I thought you know what let's see What happens in Wales? So I ended up camping in the woods above Bangor. And it was nice. It was quite solitary. Never really saw anyone. Popped into town when I needed to. But that need, that constant craving and hunger for alcohol, it was still there. Medically, I'd gone past the physical dependency of alcohol, but mentally, no, it was all still there. And I didn't know what to do. I I was screaming out for help. Fell on my knees and just begged for whatever was up there, hopefully, that there would be some form of guidance. I've never been a religious person. I don't even know really what I believe in. But something must have been looking out for me. Because a few days later, I was told about Pemmering House a recovery centre, a recovery community, a people, a group and band of people who have together sought recovery. You know, putting a bunch of alcoholics together or drug addicts together and expecting them to find, you know, recovery sounds insane. It's so counterintuitive, it's unbelievable. But I thought I'd go along ask some questions, if nothing else, just to get some advice. So I rocked up to Pemerin House, had no idea what to expect, and ended up chatting to a chap called Mark. And he was you know, really positive about the fact that I wanted to stop drinking and stop taking drugs. And I think he knew from that in my heart I desperately wanted to be able to do this but had no idea how the hell I was gonna do it. And he spoke to me for half an hour or so, and uh, asked me to come back the next day, um, where there'd be a group meeting, uh, where I could meet other people, like-minded people who were in their recovery, fighting every day for, you know, against that craving, that need, that sick want to uh, abuse oneself with alcohol or drugs. I said, yeah, yeah, of course, I'll come back. No problem. Uh, so I went off that night, and I came to Bangor. I didn't drink. I could have done, actually. I had a small amount of money on me, but I didn't. I got up the next morning and returned to Pemering took me 20 minutes to walk up the driveway. I uh, I nearly didn't. Walk up that driveway. I um, I was terrified. I've been scared of all sorts of things in my life, but walking up that drive was one of the scariest things I've ever done. But I did. I walked up that drive, and I went to a group meeting, and I listened to other people, and I listened to what they had to say, and what they had to say about Pemarine and how Pemarine House had helped them establish their recovery, continue their recovery. And I just knew that this place was something different, something special. So over the next few days, I kept coming back. I went to more group meetings and I spoke to various other people who live here. And I started to believe that actually my recovery Might actually genuinely be possible. The last few weeks, I've been uh, allowed to camp on the grounds, pitch my tent on the grounds, and uh, use the facilities on a day to day basis, establish my recovery. It's not been easy, I won't lie. I have made one fuck up. A few couple of weeks ago, I got paid. For some absurd reason, I just couldn't resist the urge to have a drink. And I did. But I came clean and told the truth. Everyone supported me. Everyone sympathised. Everyone knew what it was like. Everyone else at one point or other had also had a lapse. Now a few weeks on... I've maintained my sobriety. My mental health, I feel, is improving. I've still got some way to go. But this Friday, I actually get to move into Padmin House. I don't know how long I'm going to be here for. I don't know how long my recovery is really going to take. But at least I found it. I found somewhere where I could genuinely believe that recovery was possible. If I go back to the 5th of September, I don't actually really believe that I believed that I could genuinely do it. In fact, there is part of me that thinks I might have gone to Snowdonia with the intention of never, never leaving. funny old world. a good few weeks later here I am with an absolute determination and a belief a genuine belief that with the help of other people and support from other people who understand exactly what I'm going through because they've all been through it themselves I can do this but I'm not sure I could do it anywhere else other than here. I'll keep you on
0: If you've been affected by any of the topics in this episode, please reach out to a trusted contact or seek a professional for support. We really hope you enjoyed these diary-style recordings as much as we did. We look forward to hearing more from everyone in the future and wish them well going forward on their recovery journeys. To learn more about North Wales Recovery Community, you can find them online by searching northwalesrc.org. And Eternal Media have made multiple films featuring them, which we recommend for you to watch. You can find them on Eternal Media's website, YouTube page and the link in the description. Next time, we're back with our friends at North Wales Recovery Community, where they invited us to be a part of their day out at Llanogwen and Paris Mountain. It was a lot of fun and shows how coming together as a community and getting out in nature can help to support your recovery. Bye for now.